Tonight, tonight. Why not? He'll make you think. I think I'm going to break protocol here, though. He'll make you laugh. Is it conceited of me? Because, I mean, I've been puffing my chest out a little bit. And he lives for a take that'll make you do both. He says things I can't say. Nothing tops overtime, whether it's on the field or on the air. People don't forget. It's time for Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. It is Cleveland. It's a hot take Friday on the fan. 10 o'clock. I want your hot takes. Barring a Guardians game that ends later than expected. Well, we're, we're shooting for 10 o'clock. It's Spencer German in for JP tonight. He is off enjoying a Friday night. I'm not actually sure what JP's doing. I haven't had a chance to catch up with him in a little while, so I don't know where he's at. I don't know what his plans are, but hopefully he's enjoying his Friday night. It's You got me instead. Spencer German in the big chair, 216-474-0192. On the eve of the Browns heading to the Greenbrier for what is the official start of training camp. Already got some news this week. You heard the Perry on Winfrey drop there that we had from when the news broke that he was being let go. Uh, we got some news about Marquise Goodwin about an hour ago before I got in here and started getting ready finalizing some things for the show. We're going to get to all those things because we have some important things to talk about, including position groups that you're worried about, position groups you're comfortable with. We'll get some of those questions answered with Chris Easterling of the Akron Beacon Journal. Also, Samantha Bunton of NBC Sports and Monday Night Football will be joining us, or excuse me, Sunday Night Football will be joining us as well. Should be a fun one. Out of the gate, though, here, we've talked a lot. This offseason, even this week leading up to the start of training camp, about pressure. And Deshaun Watson's under a lot of pressure. Kevin Stefanski's under a lot of pressure. Andrew Barry potentially under a lot of pressure if things don't go their way this season and they end up missing the playoffs and what that means for the future of this team. Even Miles Garrett, to an extent, under some pressure because if they don't win, could there be some animosity there where he's looking to go elsewhere and, and play for a winning organization. Nick Chubb under some pressure because it could be his last year in Cleveland. We toss that word around a lot. We have been, and there's a number of guys that we've labeled being under pressure in 2023. But, but across the entire organization, there's one person or people, rather, that we haven't really mentioned. But the pressure's on them as well. And it's the Haslam's. And listen, in a week where we have the worst owner easily in the NFL, but probably in all of sports, in Daniel Snyder. No, I don't even know if it's a probably. Daniel Snyder, I think, is undisputably the worst owner in sports. Well, was the worst owner in sports up until yesterday when he was finally forced out and sold the team. I get it. He walks away with $6 million. That's uh, certainly a nice little payday for a guy who was a complete scumbag and did some terrible things and allowed some terrible things. Yeah, like, okay, he gets the big payday and gets to leave. He's kind of gets the last laugh in some ways. But the owners get what they want and forcing him out, and he's no longer their problem. Josh Harris steps in. And we'll see what kind of legacy he leaves for his own team. But the Haslam's legacy has been obviously spotty and questionable over the last 10-plus years, and there's still a lot to be desired in terms of the their ability to build a winning team here. 
They have one playoff appearance, which is more than the previous ownership. But still, like, a lot of questions there. A lot of things that still are, are we're trying to figure out about this group and whether or not they can push this team to that next level and build the right team. And that's why they go do things like trade for Deshaun Watson and make these moves because they're trying to go all in. But the reason I bring up other owners is because Daniel Snyder for, for, is the perfect example of an owner who was just so shameless, nothing affected him. It didn't matter that fans shamed him and called him a jerk and called him an ass and said, get this guy out of here, you know, got mad about the name, and he would, he refused to change it and said he'd never sell the team. He didn't care what his owners thought about him, so much so that there's reports that he apparently gave a presentation to all the other owners about the dirt that he dug up on them after saying he wasn't sending private investigators after the owners to dig up dirt on them, all this different stuff. I mean, the list goes on and on with Daniel Snyder. He was shameless. He just is one of those people that does not care who he has to burn on the way to the top and on the way to making his millions and billions and trillions. He's just going to bulldoze everybody and doesn't care about what wrath he leaves behind. I think there are other owners like that. Some would probably say Jerry Jones is like that. I tend to agree. I don't I, I don't buy when Jerry Jones is sitting there on hard knocks and tears talking about how badly he wants to win the Super Bowl. I'm not sitting here playing the world's smallest violin for him and I feel bad. I think in the grand scheme of things, Jerry Jones looks around, he's like, Man, I built this awesome stadium that set the precedent how stadiums are gonna be built. It's Jerry World. I'm one of the most famous, popular owners in the game. Everybody knows my name, I'm loaded, I'm good. There's plenty of others who just, they don't give a rip about their public perception. I, I, I think that's very true. I think the Hasms are different. And no, just because I'm saying they're under pressure, that doesn't mean a lot in the way of you can force the Hasms out of town if things still don't turn around in 2023. An owner's not going to fire themselves. They get the last say in that conversation, obviously. They'll leave on their own terms when they're good and ready to sell the team. Or I guess if they do enough. It took Daniel Snyder stealing from his fellow owners for them to finally want to force him out. But he got away with all that other stuff in the meantime. That's what it takes to force an owner out. So listen, the, the Haslam's will leave likely on their own terms when they feel good and ready. But think about it. The Haslam's bought the team in 2012. Losing record since they've owned it. They had an embarrassing two-stretch season where they saw their team go 1-31, including 0-16. There was the pilot flying J controversy, which forced them to ultimately sort of sell off some of their shares, and pretty soon they'll be down to Warren Buffett owning the majority of that company, and they'll be completely out from underneath it. There's the embarrassing story that leaked within the organization about incompetence behind the scenes and decision-making and the Haslam's forcing certain things. Jimmy Haslam allegedly listening to a homeless man about drafting Johnny Manziel. Again, just reports, not necessarily confirmed, but just embarrassing story after embarrassing story. There was the story about the, uh, the hashtag DP search that they projected on the wall at the, the, the team facility. Kids, don't try it at home. Just story after story of them undermining the front office, right? It's been an embarrassment. It has been an utter 
embarrassment. And now you add in last year's pursuit of Deshaun Watson amidst everything that he was dealing with and everything that he was accused of. You traded three first-round picks. You paid in the largest fully guaranteed contract in NFL history, $230 million. It was a decision that divided your fan base. It was a decision that also drew the ire of his fellow owners. And now he needs it to be worth it for a number of reasons. He needs it to be worth it for the fans. He needs it to be worth it for his fellow owner. Given everything I just laid out, fans of this team know those stories as well as anyone. The Haslam's need this thing to work. They need it to work. They finally started to shake the narrative that they micromanage too much and that they don't trust the guys that they hire and put in these positions of power to run the team. They finally have a franchise quarterback. At least we believe they do. And to be clear, the desperation to go get Deshaun Watson, I don't have a problem with them being that set on going to get their guy. Baggage being part of it. Yes, we've had those conversations at nauseum, but I don't understand. I, I don't mind the decision as a whole of listen. We're going to do whatever it takes to get the guy that we think is going to turn this franchise around at that position. That's the most important in the game. I understood it last year. I still understand it a year plus later. They've missed and missed and missed at that position. Continued adding names to that jersey on the mannequin in the store for a window that's so famous. I understand and honestly appreciate the willingness in the ilk of Dan Gilbert, to do the spend whatever you believe it's going to take to win. But it needs to work for the Haslams. They got a lot of people that they need to prove that they were right about this decision. Starting with their fellow owners, which is probably the opinions that they care about the most, because those are the people who they're judged against. Those are the people who are laughing at them when they make dumb decisions and they're, they're, they go to these meetings. It's like, oh, 0-16, Jimmy Aslam, that's the best you could do. Way to go with that Hugh Jackson hire. They don't want to be embarrassed around their contemporaries. Nobody wants to be embarrassed around their contemporaries. If I come into the station and get completely annihilated by Ken Carmen on the air, I'll feel pretty embarrassed about that. People who we work with and around that are at our place of employment and, and, and near us, we care about their opinions. That's just fact. So that matters the most to the Hasmas, which is the number one reason why they need this to work. But to go back to the top, there's plenty of owners who are shameless. They don't listen to the outside noise. They don't care. We have, I think, seen over the years that that's not the Haslams. The Haslams easily could just count their stacks of money, sit on their yacht, and, and be completely content and say, my money's louder than all the tweets and all the, the, the talk and all the, you know, scuttlebutt going on that people are saying about us. But I think they listen. In fact, we sort of have inklings over the years of certain stories that have come out that they do listen. They do hear what people are saying about them, and they do care what people are saying about them. They need this to work. They want this to work, because if not, it's just the latest strike against them as owners. It's the latest insult of, well, they're a clown ownership, and they'll never figure it out. Browns are the Browns, and they set out when they bought this team to be a different Browns organization. It's also the latest 
strike against them with the owners. Not not even a strike against them with the owners, but it's the latest. It's it's just the latest embarrassment among their peers. That well, you guys thought you you spent all this money on Deshaun Watson. You went out and did this thing that other that that was very taboo, and that now had people controversial controversial conversations about where the contracts were going and what the quarterback market was going to do. Now that you gave Deshaun Watson all this stuff, all this money, all these guarantees, you pissed them off, and they have to now prove that it was the right decision. They needed to work as much as Kevin Stefanski. They needed to work as much as Andrew Barry. They needed to work as much as Deshaun Watson. Just because they can't be fired because they run the team doesn't mean there's not pressure on their seats or heat under their seats in this in the turns in the sense of just people ridiculing them and their public image, which to these owners is more important to some of them than you think. They need this to work. The same way all these guys we've said are under pressure needed to work. 216-474-0092. Some of you guys who want to jump in on this, we will get to your calls on the other side. Also, your tweets, at Spencito underscore. You can hit me up on threads as well, at Spencito216 is where you can find me there. We're off and running on a hot take Friday here on 92 Through the Fan. Gets me fired up for college football. Jake knows. Jake's not. He's like, hell yeah, that's why I played it. One month out, baby. We're it's coming. Speaking of, I know Nick and Dustin kind of talked about this at the end of the show. Did you see those Ohio State jerseys they put out today? Those things were sick. I saw them. Woo. Absolutely sick. <sighs> Can't believe it's so close. But yes, football is in the air, uh, especially with our Cleveland Browns. Getting ready to head to the Greenbrier tomorrow, and it's been a uh, newsworthy week for Cleveland, for the Cleveland Browns with the Perry Winfrey situation. We got the Marquise Goodwin stuff tonight. We're going to get to some of that because I have some questions for you just about position groups and which ones you're worried about, which ones you're feeling pretty good about, and if any of that changes with some of the recent news we got this week. But to stay on the topic here momentarily, I'm going to get to your calls here in just a second, I promise. 216 474 The one thing we know, as I was kind of saying about many of the, not all the owners, but but some of the owners, is that they care about their public image more than anything, particularly amongst their peers. And if you got the other owners, your contemporaries judging you and the fan base calling you a clown of an owner constantly, I think truly that 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 is that that gets to the hasms. They don't want to be viewed as just like a clown show organization. They don't, simply put. Like I said, Daniel Snyder, he had zero shame. He didn't care what other people said about him. He didn't care. He was the owner of the team, and what he said went, and that was that. And that, and it played out publicly when he had no shame about a number of things that came out about him and whatever, tried to stave off being forced out by his, his, his fellow owners for a long period of time, and eventually it came to a head when they realized he was doctoring his books and stealing their money. But I think Jimmy Haslam and the Haslams in general are just different. I think they do hear the criticism. I think it, the criticisms. I think they it does bother them more than maybe other owners. And I think they have too much pride to not do everything they can to change these narratives about them and their time as owners. There's a reason he made the move for Deshaun Watson. 
He craves that that desire to be lauded and looking right by both, again, his contemporaries, his fellow owners, and this fan base. He wants them to see him as the guy who built this franchise into a contender again, brought the bronze back to prominence, and went out and was winning championships or competing for championships. He wants that, and he wants to be right about Deshaun Watson. He he wants what Dan Gilbert has, which is, yeah, you might kind of be a dictator-esque leader within your organization and a bit of a loose cannon if you're listening to homeless people to make your draft decisions, especially given the pilot flying J stuff. Like, that's embarrassing and the way you lead and the way you oversaw your organization. There's plenty of people, though, who I'm sure believe he's a jerk based on all these things. But, hey, you win a title and you have a respect. Dan Gilbert... We all thought he was a clown when he was writing the Comic Sans letter to LeBron. And then LeBron comes back, they win a title, and now we respect Dan Gilbert for spending the money so much so that when we have conversations about what ownership, what type of owner do you want from for your teams, he's like the, the model, the guy who's willing to spend whatever it takes to win. That's Jimmy Haslam. He's done that to this point. It hasn't paired the results. If he gets them this year, all of a sudden – he gets to go into those owners' meetings smiling because he was right about Deshaun Watson. And everybody who criticized him was wrong. And he gets to wear that proudly, and he'll have a big-ass smile on his face because he'll know that he finally did what he wanted to do, and, and he has the respect of the fan base. He has the respect of his owners. He wants that more than anything. These guys are all narcissists. They're all egotistical. They all want to be looked at as the geniuses and the, and, the, and the ones who won and the best of the best. He wants that more than anything, and that's why he needs this Deshaun Watson situation to work. As much as Kevin Stefanski, as much as Andrew Barry, because while their job's on the line and they can be fired and the Hasms can't, there's still pressure on them to be right about this Deshaun Watson decision and to be... Win a, a, a lead a winning franchise, which to this point, you've basically just been a laughing stock. Two one six four seven four double nine two. We go to the phones. Alfonso, up first in the fan tonight. What's up, Alfonso? Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Um, I'm doing all right. So you're talking about owners and stuff, right? Yeah. I look at all owners from every perspective here. You got baseball owners, the guys that just want money. They really don't care about the players that much. Yeah, NHL owners don't know much about them. Yeah, NFL and NBA owners. NFL owners are real tricky because they do a lot of shady stuff on the underground, and people are just finding out about it now. Oh, for like sure. Dan, like Dan Snyder, for example. The mayor should be locked up in prison, and I have three reasons why he should be locked up in prison. First of all, do you know what he was doing with the cheerleaders? He put spy cameras in there right, and right. in the locker room. Second of all, well, there's not really a third reason. Second of all, he <laughs> was shading other owners to get his brand up. Oh, and there's a third of all, just pounding money, billions of dollars, stealing, you know, yeah, yeah. care. And by the way, the commanders are a stupid name. You could have thought of something else. But the commanders, dumb name. The brand is none. The Josh Harrison, them. They came in. They they're gonna get down to business, and that team hopefully can change the brand. Hopefully they get a new name in the next three years because they gotta get rid of the commanders. Yeah. But that's all really I had to talk about. Thank you, Spence. All right, yeah, no problem, Alfonso. Appreciate the call, man. I I thought uh, 
it said on the call screen wanted to talk Browns. He spent the whole time talking Commanders. That's okay, though. No, it, I mean, good points by you. Daniel Snyder probably should be in prison. And that was my main point here. Like, there's certain owners who just don't give a rip. You can call them whatever names you want. You can go on social media and ridicule them and rip them. They don't care. They will, they'll just sit there and count their money, and that's all they need on their yacht. But there's other owners, and I think the Haslam's fall into this category, who those criticisms, like their public image is everything to them, whether it's amongst their fellow owners and within the, the cities and the fan bases that they own teams, especially one like Cleveland that's very passionate and wants a winner and is going to let you hear it if you if you fail. I think the Haslam's, I think this stuff gets to them more than maybe other owners. I do. And we have some evidence over the years of that where maybe there's been some times where they've made rash decisions just based off the fan base reactions to them. And so, yeah, like I, they want and need this to work as much as anybody, which is why I think when we talk about pressure for this upcoming season, they're not exempt. They fall into it as well, even though their jobs are safe no matter what because they're running the whole show. Let's go to Tommy in Brunswick. What's up, Tommy? Hello. Thank you so much for putting me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Okay, listen, there's no less than winning a playoff game and making it to the second playoff game and maybe losing, and that's okay. That's how important this season is. Mm. It has to be that level, that extreme in winning. So, because, so Tommy, if they if they make the playoffs but they lose in the wild card round, like say they're a wild card team, they lose in the in the in the in the first round. What 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 is like what does the aftermath of that look like? Is it is it get rid of Kevin Stefanski? Is it clean it, house? Is, is it, no no you get to keep Kevin Stefanski because of that? Okay, because okay? he made it to the playoffs. But it's to the level, my friend, that we need to win. Win, 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 win. Everybody on this team is a starter. You know what I mean? In the lack yeah. of a better term, everybody's a starter. Everybody's good. So win. That, that, yeah. I mean, we need to win, man. I'm, I'm, I'm 64, and I'm telling you, I was there in the Bernie era, and we almost won, and now we don't win. Yeah. So we need to start yeah. No, Tommy, listen, spot on, man. I appreciate the call. And it's, it's, I don't want to go into training camp and make it just like this regurgitated, broken record conversation of basically Tommy's call. But that really is the truth. That's where everybody's at with this team right now. Like, we can sit here and talk about maybe a couple position battles or, oh, what's the wide receiver room going to look like? Who's going to make the cut? Who's not? Uh, is Deshaun Watson going to bounce back? We can have these conversations. They're fun for training camp and all these different things. But Tommy summed it up, man. Like, this season is about not – it's not about just one thing, but one of the biggest – the most important thing for the season is just win. That's what it comes down to. We're, we're tired of the, this team being hyped up going into a season, and then the wheels fall off. We're tired of hearing how great they are and people saying, like, oh, watch the Browns, and then they just fall flat on their face. They need to go out and they need to win. And that is the story going into training camp, going into the regular season. I I don't want it to just sound like the same conversation over and over again. We're going to try to obviously keep it interesting and spice it up and have different things to talk about and different, uh, different levels to that conversation. But that does really sum it up. That sums up where we're all at, where most of us are at going into this year. It's win. It's why when they release a white helmet earlier this week, I said, yeah, cool, that's fine, man.
But I don't care what the hell your uniform looks like. You could slap a poop emoji on the side of the helmet, and I wouldn't care if you go win football games. Guess what? I buy a hat with the same exact poop emoji on it. I'd be like, hell yeah, the Browns are winning with this logo, so I like it. Those disaster garbage can uniforms they had when Johnny Manziel was here with the Cleveland on the leg, like trying to be Victoria's Secret, where they put the, the words on the ass of the pants, like whatever the hell that was they were trying to do with that jersey combo, it was awful. Guess what? If they had wanted it, everybody would have loved that jersey combo. We hated the NBA sleeve jerseys. The Cavs won a championship in those. So now everyone remembers the black sleeve jerseys being iconic, symbolic of the Cavs championship season and run. Just win. Tommy summed it up. That's what is at the core of all this. And it's why there's so much pressure on from top down. The Haslam's on down. There's pressure in this entire organization to get it done. This year, now easier said than done. We'll talk about some of that throughout tonight and throughout, obviously, the weeks ahead because this AFC and this AFC North in particular is absolutely stacked. Let's go to Chris and Twinsburg before we go to a break here. Chris, what's up, man? Nothing. You're cracking me up there with the poop emoji. I would definitely wear one, too, if it was meant to championship. Uh, yeah, you know, the, there is a lot of pressure, and I was kind of surprised that Cup Perry on Winfrey considered they've gone so far uh, with him so far. But this is my question to you. Okay, so Terry Ann Winfrey has the gun. John Moran has the gun. Why is it always the NBA and the NFL, and you never see MLB players get caught with a gun? You always see it in the NFL and the NBA. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, obviously we don't know the 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 ins and outs of all that, and like why a certain sport maybe it happens more than others, or why guys are getting caught. I don't know. I mean, we do hear about some domestic assault. Charges in baseball, I can't remember if any of them, even like Geraldus Chapman, great guy he is, uh, obviously had one. Um, and I don't know if there was a weapon involved in any of those, but, yeah, you're right. Like, it definitely seems like it's more prominent in maybe those two sports than others. So I, like I see where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, Plaxico's another one. Although that was more so just he brought to the nightclub and probably he shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, not, not, not smart on his part. Wore the sweatpants, not a good look. Anyway, All right, I'll, yeah. I'll buy the poop emoji. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Appreciate the call. Uh, 216-474-0092. Yeah, guys, like, I- I'm fired up tonight because the Browns go to the Greenbrier tomorrow. I was about to say they get on a bus and drive down there, but we know they're flying. The, re- the-, the media is the ones who are jumping in the buses and the cars and driving down there. Our good friend Daryl Ryder doing that. And Chris Easterling, who's going to join us, by the way, at, at-, at 820. But they fly down there tomorrow and... As we set the stage for what this training camp and regular season building up towards it mean, it's just it's just so important. And there's so much pressure on so many people throughout the organization. They have to deliver this year. It's now or never for this franchise. 216-474-0092. Let's talk a little bit more getting ready for training camp about some positions, some groups that you're worried about, especially after the Perry on Winfrey news, especially after this Marquise Goodwin news tonight. And... Maybe a position group that you're very comfortable with. You're not worried about in the least. We do that and more coming up next on The Fan. We're back. 
back on the fan. Spencer German filling in for JP tonight. We've got an absolutely loaded show. Chris Easterling coming up next hour. He'll join us at 820. we got Samantha Bunton joining us at 920. Talking a lot of football. That's our focus tonight. But we also have an eye on the Guardians game. They're up to nothing. I believe it's still 2 nothing, right? Did I miss anything while I was back there? No? Okay. Good. Sorry. A lot of behind-the-scenes audio cutting going on. So, you know, finishing some show stuff. 216-474-0092. This season is all about winning for the Browns. A lot of pressure on them. And I, I think that starts at the top. It, it starts with the Haslam's on down. Even though the Haslam's can't be fired, they have a lot to prove themselves. They have to prove that this investment in Deshaun Watson was worth it. That's where we started today. Got some other good stuff to get to. Um I need to. De- I, I need a clear definition, or I need to actually. I don't know if I need a clear definition, but I need to run the definition of friend by you guys. Very random topic. I, I I know, but my wife and I go back and forth on this all the time, and it drives her absolutely insane how uh, how I define a friend versus how she defines a friend. So we need to uh, we need to set the record straight. I need some, basically I'm looking for some people out there to to back me on my stance on what a friend is. Cool? We'll do that later. For now though, as we get ready for Greenbrier practices, Browns training camp, it's it's finally here. Football is in the air. The Hall of Fame game is fast approaching. It's going to be a wild ride. Um I do want to find out from you guys and we've had some interesting stories this week, including the Perrion Winfrey situation where he forced out after another incident that he's caught up in. Let me just say on Perrion Winfrey real quick. I understand everyone, as soon as one of these t- these types of things happen, they want to just point to he wasn't charged. He's not going to prison. Uh, there was no video evidence that he had a gun. Whatever. They, they want to point to the fact that certain things haven't been proven and our due process hasn't run its course yet. So it's unfair just to cast judgment and, and, and release him. But I want to be clear on Perry Winfrey here. Whether or not he full-fledged did what he was accused of was irrelevant in this situation because it was pretty clear that the Browns set a precedent for him where they said, listen, Giving you one last chance. We've given you resources to try to get through these types of things, get you the help you need to stay out of trouble. If you're not going to listen, you get one more strike and that's it. That's it. He was already involved in another domestic dispute earlier this offseason. Like, he was on thin ice. This wasn't about this latest incident and the... What was true, what wasn't, and what was on video, and what wasn't, and was he charged or was he not? This was about the fact that, yet again, he was in another incident that was causing controversy and that they just couldn't trust him to stay in the straight and narrow. No matter how many times they tried to give him the benefit of the doubt, give him the tools to get through these things and be successful, he just continued to drop the ball. They couldn't trust him anymore, so it was time to go. That's what that was about. All right? But... I wonder if his absence on the defensive line now has you concern about the depth of that position. 
Does Marquise Goodwin in the news that he is now dealing with some blood clots certainly pray and hope that everything ends up okay with him because that can be a scary thing that can really be detrimental to not just your your football career but your life. We hope that he recovers okay and he's fine. He can eventually return to the field for the Browns, but that is secondary to just him taking care of himself. But with his absence now, he starts on the phys- the, the illness list, the non-football illness list. I don't know how long it could be until he sees the field. Are you more worried about the wide receiver position now? Already losing somebody who was a key addition this offseason. Maybe not a major key addition, but an addition nonetheless. And a position that people have already had questions about. What position group are you most concerned with on the eve of Greenbrier practices and the Greenbrier trip and the, open, the official opening in my eyes of training camp for this team? What position group are you the most comfortable with right now? 216-474-992. Get to your calls on that. Also, your tweets at Spencito underscore. I do want to welcome in Jeff from Eastlake to jump in on the conversation. What's up, Jeff? Hey, Spencer, how's it going? Good, man. Good. Real real quick, I just wanted to comment on the ownership. Sure. Uh, They're pretty good. Uh, They are trying, but they have a quick trigger finger. I think most of the pressure's on Kevin uh, Stefanski and Andrew Barry. Uh, it seems like every time I get excited about a coach or a quarterback, I just fall flat on my face. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we all so, love Freddie Kitchens. We thought he was the bee's knees. He, oh, all, yeah. he gets Cleveland. He, he dropped the, if you don't wear brown and orange, you don't matter. And we were all eating that up. Like, put it on a T-shirt. I got to buy that one. And then look how that turned out. Oh, yeah. And then real quick, and this is something I did learn that, um, when we got Bernie, we did give up three draft round first uh, mm. draft round picks, which I didn't know. Interesting. But uh, at at that time, at that time, uh, our team was pretty well established. We, you know, we were we had our claws in the ground. Not right now. Now I don't think we do. And then uh, last comment I'll make: seven and nine. That's all I got. Thank you so much. All right, appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks, man. Seven and nine is his prediction for the season. That would mean, whew, that would mean a whole lot of turnover, I think, within the Browns organization. I'm trying to look this up if that's true that they traded three first round picks for Bernie. Is that accurate? So it was the supplemental draft. So you place your bid on your guy. Right. right. And based off your winning bid, that's, then you lose those picks in the following draft. So when they got him in the, I want to say that was the summer of 85, they would have lost their 86 picks, if I'm understanding this correctly. So they gave him three picks, but they weren't all first-round picks. He made it sound like they gave him three first-round picks. I don't believe they were first-round picks, but let me double-check. They just gave him three picks. The Browns used their first election in the 1985 Sublimit Draft to take Coe's offering him a five-year contract. I feel stupid for not knowing more about this, but I – the Bills sent their first overall supplemental pick to the Browns in exchange for Cleveland's seventh overall pick, third pick, and the 1986 six-round pick and all-pro linebacker Chip Banks. I don't know. We'll get we'll get to the bottom of this. I, I did not know that. I'm, I'm, I'm disputing that that's true that they gave a three first-rounders for Bernie – Sounds like they gave us some picks for him, but I don't know about that. That's why I kind of was hesitant to commit to agreeing with him. Anywho, 216-474-0092.
What is the the position group you're most concerned with heading into the start of training camp? What position group are you most comfortable with? I'll give you my most concerning because we got to tee something here on the other side and the to start the eight o'clock hour. But the the position group I'm the least worried about at this point. I think it's uh, I, I, for me. I think there's two. The tight end group. Not worry whatsoever. Obviously, I love Njoku. In fact, I'm willing to say Madden's been putting out all their ratings for players this week. And Njoku, I think, was like ninth on the list. I forget what his exact number was. And I, this is kind of a silly argument because I'm using Madden ratings in the conversation. But I quote tweeted it and said, watch him climb up this list by the end of the season. I think that David Njoku is going to have a huge year. For whatever reason, I, I, Deshaun likes the t- to throw to his tight ends. That's why they bring in a guy like Akins, who's behind him, which is another reason why I feel good about this position group. And then you got Harrison Bryant behind him, who's done some nice things, obviously, at the NFL level as well. I have no worries whatsoever about the tight end position on this team. None. Staying on the offensive side of the ball, I'm also not worried really about the offensive line. I understand there's some concerns with Jedrick Wills. And whether or not he was, he's going to live up to his first round hype or not. And, you know, whether or not he's a, a hit or a miss for Andrew Barry and the jury's still out on that after a year that was good his first year, not so good his second year, very inconsistent at this point, And we still have questions. I think around him, you have an offensive line that, and, and really this is a testament to Andrew Barry and his eye for talent. I guess that that specific group within that specific group, because you bring in Ethan Posick, he backs up Nick Harris, who's supposed to be the starting center when you move on from J.C. Treader, and he flawlessly plays his way into a, a contract extension, and now he's projected as your starter this year with Nick Harris now behind him. So I feel pretty good about the center position. You also added, obviously, Luke uh, Whipler, or Wipler, excuse me. And then... You got Petonio back. You got Wyatt Teller back. You got you got Jack Conklin back. And around them, I'm I'm actually really excited about Dewan Jones. I know he's a late round pick, and you're not really expecting much from him. But given his size and just physicality and the strength he brings to the table, I think there's a project there. But a nice depth option for you if there's some injuries, which is always offensive line injuries. That seems like the most inevitable thing every single football season is that an offensive lineman at some point is going to get hurt. You also bring back James Hudson to back up Jedrick Wills. Like, I like where this offensive line group is at. I'm not too worried about that group. I, I think year after year we get worried because Jack Conklin gets hurt or Jedrick Wills gets hurt. And they bring somebody else in who does a at least serviceable job. And you're not really talking about that being a problem throughout the season versus other issues like the defense or whatever. Notice I didn't highlight a defensive group whatsoever as a group that I'm most comfortable with. I just think I have questions. If you want to point to the secondary, okay, Denzel Ward, one of the best in the game. I have no, I won't push back on you for that. But um, can he stay healthy? And if you're doing the secondary as a whole, we haven't seen Juan Thornhill in this group in this defense yet. How is he going to perform? 
Grant Delpit. He had some issues early in the season last year, specifically with communication. He was kind of at the center of some of those miss, those badly uh, executed plays and the the the, the lapses in, in in guys getting behind them and just blowing games. Does he kind of get back on track like he was towards the second half of the season, or are there still questions about him at the safety position? Martin Emerson Jr. had a great rookie year. Is he going to replicate it? Greg Newsom, is he going to buy into being a slot corner or a nickel corner? So I have some questions there. Off defensive line, I feel pretty good about the defensive line with the additions they've made, but again, i got to see it to believe it because we've seen the mad guys before and it's blown up in their face. But I would say on the defensive side, that's maybe the group I'm the least worried about, even with the absence of Perrion Winfrey. Frankly, with Perrion, I wasn't really thinking he might be long for this team anyway. He was kind of a non-factor in my mind. Like, I can't trust he's even going to be on this team past week five. I didn't think it would happen this quickly. But with him now out of the picture, I'm just like, okay, kind of saw it coming, I guess. So I'm not as concerned about that one. But what position group are you most worried about? What position group are you most comfortable with? As the Browns get ready to start training camp this weekend, we'll answer those questions some more and talk about it on the other side. Keep it locked. One hour down, four to go. Here on Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin and Spencer German filling in for JP.